Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint Edwards. I'll be your host for this wonderful subject that we all like that you've tuned in to, to listen to about the Scottish Clans. Today, as you've noticed in the title, we're going to be talking about how succession was handled within the Highland Clans. Now, and, and the system is called Tonistry in English, and I don't know if there's a... I don't ever. I don't know if I ever saw a name for the Gallic system, the a Gallic name for the system. I, I the English term is taken from the name of the person in the Gallic language who is to succeed the chief or the king. The system of tonistry goes back clear to ancient, ancient to Ireland, and can be found written up in their their laws there. Before we get too far into that, and I, I want to get into some listener feedback, but on this note, after I finished the last episode, I was like, I think I took up half the episode talking about listener feedback. So from here on out, I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum. We had less listener feedback this time, so it's not going to take very much time to handle listener feedback. And I think in the future, if I have had a lot of listener feedback like I had in the Campbell episodes, I believe that I'll probably pick the one or two comments that will allow me to maybe discuss some abs- some abs- uh, aspect of the Scottish clans and the other ones I'll try to respond to privately. So that's, that's kind of how I'm going to handle listener feedback in the future. All right, with that said, I went to Apple Podcast Reviews for the Scottish Clans podcast, and I found Border Johnston leaving a review entitled Scottish Clans is encouraging. It kind of trails off there. Anyway, this is an, this is an interesting feedback. My, he says, Border Johnston, by the way, I do have some Johnstons in my family tree, so... I've always been kind of partial to Johnston's, although I do have some other border names down in there. I think I even have some Maxwell's in there, too. And if you know anything about border history, the most bloody feud in border history involved Johnston's and Maxwell's, those two fighting each other. I mean, it was just, it was what would be called total warfare, like just all out, let's just kill as many people as we can. I believe I did a whole episode on that a while back, so if you're interested in that, go back and check that out. Border Johnston says, My job requires me to drive through the remote areas of the western states. Often fi- I often find radio st- often finding radio stations can be annoying. Pause right there on the quote. Yes. For those of you who have never been to the western United States, we have, in some cases, very, very large stretches of unsettled land. And you can go for quite a while without seeing a building or a person. And in some of these places... Well, first of all, don't get, don't let your vehicle run out of gas in these places. But second of all, finding that radio station or cell phone reception can be very challenging. Anyway, back to the quote. I have a couple podcasts I listen to and some music on my phone. I, come ac- I came across the Scottish Clans podcast and have listened to most of the episodes twice. The list of references has been one of the most useful tools in researching family history. I love the stories and tales of the various clans. Border Johnston, thank you for leaving that review. For leaving that. Um, the list of the references. The references has been one of the most commonly complimented aspects of this podcast that I have received. I have so many of you who 
appreciate where we're going to get information from. And that was, that was, that, that's an outgrowth of my frustration as I'm trying to dig a little deeper into the Scottish clans. And I'm looking that sources aren't cited very well, even in some of the most common sources of information on Scottish clans. They are not source, uh, cited very well. So I'm trying to go to great effort in this podcast to make sure you understand where I'm getting my information. And on this note, last episode I talked about the Roses of Kilrock. And I pulled some, well, actually, I got a lot of my information from a work that's in, that's titled A History of Murray and Nairn. And I actually left a link to that to archive.com. And that's a really, archive.com is a really cool resource. I've pulled a lot of PDF files that I use for sources on the Scottish clans from archive.com. And you, like I just said, you can go right on there. You can, on the right side, it will have different formats that you can download that source on. And so, and PDF is usually right there. And so you can just download the PDF to your computer and drive on. I think that's how I got this particular source. I've got the, I can't remember the name with the exact name of the title of the book, but it's the history of the Mackays. I got the Wardlaw manuscript I think I got from archive.com. Anyway, I've got a ton of stuff from archive.com. I left a specific link that will tell you, take you to the um, the link to, to archive.com specifically on the page for a history of Murray and Nairn. And when it comes to that, and I included this in the comments of that link, it's not just the Roses of Kilrock that you'll find included there. You'll find... And I, I don't know if I can remember all the clans off the top of my head that you'll find a specific section devoted to them, but you'll have the roses, you will have the Brodies, you will ha- which I have Brodies in my family tree as well, back in those Scots Irish frontiersmen back in there. Who who else? Uh, there's some some Stuarts, some Dunbars, the Campbells of Cotter, which if you remember the Campbell clan cluster branches of clan Campbell episode you can get get into that and learn about them there too anyway there's you can get into that and you can learn about several different clans through that source so I left a link to it on the Facebook page of Scottish clans which is facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland so go to the Facebook page and you can and I'll try to be more regular about dropping sources on there once again that has been one of the most complimented aspects of this podcast is how much attention we how, how much we care about our sources all right so i'm going to move on to some facebook comments some of you that have messaged scottish clans facebook page i think this just one came in today norman mcdonald gave me a thumbs up thank you brother appreciate it also joshua jackson left this and i think this is interesting we can uh, can jump off of this one just a little bit. He's got some personal stuff about he's descended from some Douglases and McGregors and asked if I would be doing a Douglas episode. Well, I want you to know, Joshua, that I just, as of seeing that comment there, I just added Douglas to my list of clans that I'll be talking about in the future. So, And I've got a, just a running list. That's a lot of you. That's I'd say that's one of the other things that's most commonly given back to me as far as I take it as a compliment that you want me to do your your clan that means you like what we're doing so far and you want to hear more of it and you want to hear it more closely connected to you so I've got a running list of what you all are recommending to me as far as 
specific clans to highlight in on a given episode. Just want you to let you know that those requests are coming in faster than I can actually do episodes on them. So, um, I think that our, my the episode that I'm going to be doing after this one is going to be pulling from that list. In fact, it's going to be one that's been recommended twice, kind of like the Roses of Killrock were recommended twice or requ- requested twice for a, an episode on them. So yes, Douglas has just made my list, Joshua. Joshua also says, I'm looking for information on the Jackson surname, which appears to be Scottish and English in origin. Was this due to the Jacksons being border reavers? That's possible, Joshua. To continue, finally, one you may think about, well, why didn't the Jacobite army continue to use secret warfare that seemed to be successful during early battles with the English, knowing that they would be outmanned and outgunned? That's a great question, Joshua. Now, here's, so I'm, I'm assuming you mean, why didn't they continue to do it after Culloden? I, I think it's because the Duke of Cumberland was so, so thorough in his stamping out people involved in this movement. I think it was traumatizing how thorough he was. He was brutal about it. Not only did he clean up the battlefield of, I mean, he didn't, look, a, 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 one approach to battlefields after the post-battle that the U.S. Army embraces now and other armies have embraced it currently and throughout history, especially if you're a... Uh, trying to use Christian charity, you're going through and any anybody that's left on the battlefield that's not a threat anymore, they're wounded, they're just not in a shape that they can be a threat at all. You, you, you round them up, you give them care. Anyway, they did not do that. They, they cleansed the battlefield of survivors. They went up and finished everybody off and then everybody that ran off, they hunted them down. Now, I'm not telling you that nobody survived because we know that Bonnie Prince Charlie survived, but but just survived the battle specifically. But that I think the Duke of Cumberland, when he when he f- turned that victory into a rout afterwards, and then in the succeeding weeks and months, he was just so thorough, so thorough in such a brutal way that I don't I think it just sapped all desire to help that out. And in fact, and so this is another reason why this comment is a good one because it can get us talking about some stuff that's really relevant to this podcast. And and I I'm going to probably dive into the subject in the future a lot more deeply, but it's a common misconception that the Jacobite rising was the Highlanders versus the, the British government and the English soldiers. It, it was not even close to that clear cut. There were many Highland clans who took, well, there's three different approaches you could take here. And this is being super general. You could probably get a lot more different, you could probably get a lot more approaches than this, but let me just men- just throw these three out here. One, you could just rally to the standard and join the cause and fight with the Jacobite army. Even within that group, you had some who did it eagerly and you had some who did it more reluctantly. Then you have some who maintained an aloof approach to this. Now, that's one thing we mentioned about the Roses, is the Roses, in fact, it mentions back in that history of Murray and Nairn that Hugh Rose, the chief, the, the current chief of the Roses and, and Lord Kilrock, he entertained, 
and I, and I can't, I hadn't intended to share this, but so I, forgive me if I'm slightly off, but I think I'm pretty accurate on this. He, he is said to have entertained Bonnie Prince Charlie and the Duke of Cumberland, his, the, so he's, the Duke of Cumberland was leading the Hanoverian forces against Bonnie Prince Charlie's Jacobite army. I think he entertained these two men, not at the same time, but like back to back within a very short period of time. I, I wanted to, to think that the source claimed that it was the same day. It might not have been the same day, but it was very close. Entertained both men, had a great visit with both men, and but still kept neutral in the whole thing. And, and that is why the Roses of Kilrock never became very powerful, huge things, because they stayed out of a lot of stuff. So they didn't grow in power a lot, but they also were able to maintain what they had, going back to their claim, more than anybody else did. And then there is the other approach that some of the Highland clans and their chiefs took toward this conflict, and that some of them joined the, the Hanoverian forces who were fighting for King George. So it's, it is not true. There, on, at the, on the Culloden field, that battlefield, there were Highland clans on both sides of that army. That was not a Highland versus English fight. That was who do you want to be the king fight. And not everybody wanted Bonnie Prince Charlie to be the king. And I don't know if I'm going to offend anybody by saying this, but the more I learn about him, the more I think I would have had a hard time joining his side. He was, I, my understanding is he's super charismatic and charming, but in absolute soup sandwich as a military commander. So anyway, that's, it's not as clear as everybody thinks it was. And so Joshua, that's why I don't think you see that happen afterwards is because I think the Duke of Cumberland defeated the Jacobite army so thoroughly that it, I don't think anybody was ready to, to do that again. You know, you go, there's parallels to that in other times of history. You go to World War One. nobody had seen body counts like they'd seen in World War One, And so when Hitler is rising and starting to push the boundaries of, of Germany and starting to take over a little here and there, that's why no, that's my understanding of that, and I'm not a World War II scholar, but my understanding is one reason that other countries were reluctant to jump in and brace up against him was because they were just so traumatized from World War One. There's a lot of people that were still alive and remembered World War One and how the number of casualties and how devastating that was and and that was why they were reluctant. Now, eventually, you know, we do have World War II develop out of that. So people did eventually jump up and, and oppose him. But there was some dra- feet dragging there because of World War One, And so to a greater extent, you see that Jacobite movement just, just die. And it turned into something that was only spoke about in bars in France where these expats had settled. Anyway, anyway. There's there's my best answer to that. There might be somebody out there who's listening to this podcast, and I may, might be able to even think of one or two names right off the top of my head of people who regularly listen to this podcast that might be able to give you a better answer. So if anybody's got a better answer to Joshua than what I just gave, send it in. Give me a message, face, message Scottish Clans on the Facebook. Message me, and I'll and I'll bring that up as I have done previously. Okay, we're getting we're getting ready to. to 
keep this going. That's all I've got for listener feedback. I hope that I hope that when I'm giving this leaders listener feedback, I'm not losing people, but I hope that those listener feedback comments are bringing up some really cool aspects of Scottish clans like this, like we're meant to talk about here. All right. So here's why I wanted to talk about Tonistry today. Now that I have kind of joined the civilized world and moved moved in from the Idaho frontier and have more ready access to better internet streaming and cell data and all these cool conveniences and grocery stores that are just right down the road and you know and I've got a lot of mixed feelings about this folks but that's not what the podcast's about anyway I'm able to dial in on this show that I'm sure a lot of you are much more spun up on than I am and that is Outlander now there's a couple of reasons it's not just technology I've drugged my feet on this as as part of my religious convictions and my worldview, I try to be very picky about what goes through my eyes and into my mind. And so I've, I've, I, I'm reluctant when I see a rating on a TV show, if it's a movie and it says R or it's a TV show and it says TVMA or TV mature, I'm reluctant. I'm not saying a never, ever, 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 indulge in those forms of entertainment and those that media but I'm telling you I'm I'm very picky about how I do it and Outlander has some elements in it that is one of the reasons why I'm reluctant and then we've used that fast forward button and I know for a lot of you it's probably not a big deal and you skip right past and you're like wondering why is this guy so prude why is this guy what come on dude grow up but I'm just here to tell you that there's certain images and language that I want in my head, and there are certain images and language that I don't want in my head. And so that's I'm just going to put that as a disclaimer out ahead of this. But I have watched a few episodes, and my and my wife has been watching with me, and I've um, watched this recent one where Jamie Frazier is they're they're doing their oaths to the to Colum the Colum McKenzie the chief. And there is this a lot of shock when Jamie shows up to swear his oath because if he swears the oath, then he officially leaves Clan Fraser, which he is by the male line, and joins Clan McKenzie, which he is by the female line. So he's official member of the clan. And as an official member of the clan, he would be one of the strong runners for the chiefship. Now, so you have these two different systems. And let, so let me explain what tonistry is. So that's why I decided, I was, I was watching that episode, and I was like, ah, oh, that'd be great to touch on that, what's really going on there. And I got the chance to teach my wife about it, and she is probably less interested than the average listener of this podcast is. But now that there's a great story attached to it, she's more interested. And so I taught, taught her about it, and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to do that for a podcast episode. So... Let's define tonistry. This is not a defin- the, the dictionary definition, but tonistry is where the heir to a position such of leadership, such as a chief of a kindred or even the king, could come through a number of candidates who were grandsons or great-grandsons of a previous chief. Okay, so there's several candidates. Now, this is a system as opposed to primogeniture, which is where it's usually from father to oldest son, father to oldest son, father to oldest son, and so on down the line. (coughs) Pardon me. Anyway, so that's... And so you have this pool of male candidates to the position of leadership, 
and the the Gales of Scotland share this and may have inherited from the Gales of Ireland, whereas this system was very well developed, very well spared out, spelled out, codified, and and it goes back a long ways in Ireland. So we're thinking this system comes through the Dalriada Scots, who here's here's the one thing as I've studied Michael Newton's book Warriors of the Word. So I've read it all the way through, and then I use it as a reference to keep going back to it. One of the things I've been impressed with is the level of cultural continuity between Gaelic, Ireland, and Scotland. Just with their legends, their customs, language, culture, there's just so much that I, w- I saw in that book that I just, I had no idea. I, yeah, okay, got it. They speak the same language or variations of the same language, but, and, and I guess today, Scots Gaelic and and Irish are not considered the same language. They're not just, I think they're, my understanding is they're different languages. They're not just dialects of the same language. But it goes way past language, the connection between Gaelic Scotland and, and Gaelic Ireland. It, it, there's a lot of, they're, they're legends. They're both telling legends about the Fiona and Finn McCool and Cúchulainn and and just there's just so much overlap there. I, I, that was something that, made an impression on me reading that Michael Newton's book. And I'll be going to Michael Newton's book for part of this this episode later on. So that's one of my sources. And if you are wanting more information, so I've just to remind you, I started that reading list on the Facebook page and I will continue to update that. And I didn't do a full citation like you would see in a, see in a bibliography because it's just so easy these days to take the the title of the the work and the author, plug it in on a Google search and and find all the information on it you need. And you can go to Amazon and purchase it or find it in a library. It's just so easy these days. So all I just gave on that reading list was the title and the author. All right, so we have a system. as a, So primogeniture is the father to son, father to son. And tonistry is father to, or the chief, to maybe a son, but maybe a nephew or a cousin or a brother Anyway, there, there could be any number of male candidates for this position of leadership. Now, in Ireland, this was strictly through male lines. Now, there were examples in Scottish history of the female line being eligible. And an example of this is actually Robert the Bruce. In 1296, Bruce was a candidate to inherit the crown of Scotland by pleading and making appeal to the system of tonistry, which actually answers more questions that I would have because I was thinking, well, was this system very unique to Highland Scotland? Well, what about Galloway that also had a very strong Gallic foundation to their history? What, did they use it there too? And and that's where the Bruces and the Balliols come in. The Balliols, Balliols and the Bruces both are using a claim to tonistry because they came into this whole thing through the female line. And anyway, so you see that the Bruce is appealing to this, not from the Highlands, but aware of this tradition. Maybe even is this an indication that this tonistry was practiced in Galloway in southwest Scotland and Carrick and these other Dumfriesshire and these other parts of southwest Scotland? I, I don't know. I don't know how deep this goes, but I do know that Robert the Bruce made an appeal to this in his bid for the throne. Now, ultimately, that's not what got him the position. 
everybody didn't like, oh, okay, yeah, you're. I guess you're in the pool. No, what got him the the, pit, the throne was he was successful at leading men and defeating English people. Eventually, he was successful at that. So, English soldiers, I should say. All right, so some have speculated that this difference that between Ireland and Scotland, whereas in Ireland it was only through male lines, and in Scotland you sometimes would see the female line produce eligible candidates. They're wondering if that wasn't due to a Pictish influence. Now here's... So this is one of the reasons why I'm glad I gave those foundation episodes at the very beginning when I started this podcast. Where are these, where are these clans coming out of? What cultural, ethnic groups are they coming from? There's a lot of people who subscribe to very, very old accounts that the Picts practiced matrilineal succession, meaning through female lines. And I told you on that last episode as I was talking about this, one of the books that I'm reading and, and that I've included on my reading list is Warlords and Holy Men by Alfred Smith. Now, the, the first big chapter in that is called something like Picts, The Last Free Men on Earth or something like that. Anyway, the whole, that whole chapter is just about the Picts. And he makes a pretty strong argument that the Picts actually were not a matrilineal society. And so, if that's the case, then there wouldn't be a Pictish influence on Tonistry that produced a difference between the strict male line only rule in Ireland versus some exceptions to that in Scotland. Now, I want to go and I want to be pretty straightforward with this. I don't. I haven't got far enough into this subject to know that the f- female line wasn't a, just a complete anomaly, out, extreme outlier, and where it was very solidly the rule that it was a male line thing. I don't know if that's the case or or if they were just a little bit more open to f- female lines producing eligible candidates to succeed a chief or a king. I don't know that. And if somebody has studied this a little bit deeper than me, please feel free so when and so I want to be clear that I'm not telling you that the picks weren't matrilineal. I'm just telling you Alfred Smith in Warlords and Holy Man, Holy Men, makes a pretty strong argument that they were not. That's a that's a misunderstanding of the sources and the history. All right. So I'm not sure. Once again, how rigidly the Highland clans held this male only rule. Their Irish cousins. Um. So I don't know if we're going to take this back to a pop culture thing. The the Outlander series, was Jamie really an eligible candidate for the th- for the to be the chief? I don't know if he he was. I don't know if that'd be legit or not. Or if they'd be like, hey, sorry, dude, your your mom being the chief's wife, that doesn't. I mean, not the chief's wife, the chief's sister. Your mom being the chief's sister, that, does, you're, that doesn't count. You, you're, you're not eligible. I don't, I don't know where to go with, with that one, so I'm just going to leave you that maybe he could have been, and maybe they didn't get it wrong. Now, here's one thing. I'm going to get next into some pros and cons of tonistry, and, and then I'm going to come back to this here. So pros and cons. I'm going to start off with pros. 
Well, no, I, I always like starting off with cons and then ending positive. So the cons is sometimes you have power struggles because there are so many people that are eligible, whereas in primogeniture, it's everybody kind of understands who the next guy is going to be. Okay, so when it's there's this big pool of people that could succeed the leader, the chief, the king, whoever it is. You know, when, when Alexander the third, when he died, by the way, I totally think there's foul play involved in that. Anyway, when he died and he doesn't produce under primogeniture the next guy in line for the throne, then and it goes to all these eligible candidates, and you can see how that turned out. So that's a con of tonistry. And I don't know that that was specifically tonistry, but let me add this little detail to this. Primogeniture and tonistry are not mutually exclusive. There can be overlap. And, and I'd like to do a whole other episode on feudalism versus clanship because some I have read in some sources, and I'm not going to say which ones, one, because I can't think of them off the top of my head, and two, because I wouldn't even if I could, because I, I totally disagree with this. And, and, and not that I would never mention sources that I disagree with, but just suffice it to say I don't have it off the top of my head, that I have read in some places where they say that clanship was to a degree replaced by feudalism, and I would disagree with that claim. I would say that that clanship and feudalism very much overlapped each other. I, I think that they took... Because feudalism... Here's one thing I learned in college. Feudalism looked different depending on where you were. There wasn't... There was some very loosely defined criteria for a system to be labeled as feudalism. And then outside of that, it, it I mean, you, there's a, so much room for variety for it to still be feudalism. And so when feudalism reaches Scotland, mostly through Norman influence, they took this system and they adapted it to what they already had. So these two systems are not mutually exclusive. They're not in incompatible. Um, I've debated on whether to just read a section out of Michael Newton's book. It's on page... So it's Warriors of the Word. It's on page 131 is where he gets into talking about tonistry. Uh, maybe I'll just take a couple seconds right here to read through this. It says, in, in the Gallic customs of succession, known in English as tonistry, males whose near ancestor had been a leader were eligible to be elected into that position. The tanisha, or tanishtir, heir apparent, was usually chosen during the lifetime of a leader to minimize rivalries after his death, but hostilities often erupted nonetheless. Primogeniture, the system of succession accompanying feudalism, dictated a strict father-to-first-son succession aiming to limit chaos after a leader's death. It is not always clear from the historical record which system was operating at any particular time in the past. What may appear to us to be a succession by tonistry or primogeniture may have often been a result of specific conditions and necessities, and the two systems do not need to be seen as irreconcilable. The Royal House of Scotland committed itself to primogeniture in the 13th century, but succession to a male heir, a male other than the oldest son, continued in at least some clans into the 17th century. A clan council, consisting of the fina, or the leaders of the most important kin groups, was usually involved in the election of the successor. The Lord of the Isles appears to have been chosen by the Council of the Isles, even under tonistry. 
Successors, successors tended to be the sons or close relatives of the previous ruler, as one needed to be close to the centers of power to draw upon the necessary wealth, military backing, and expertise to succeed. A nobleman who had a large following of dependents could make a better case, with or without a show of force, than one without such support. Anne Grant, writing in the early 19th century, claimed that the claimant, quote, the claimant who had the strongest party in the clan, especially if sanctioned by the will of the deceased, was generally acknowledged as heir, unquote. It became common practice in the Highlands for the oldest son of a chieftain to take over running the daily affairs of the clan once he married. All right, so that's the end of the quote from Michael Newton. That's page 131 and 132 out of Warriors of the Word. So there's a couple of interesting points in there, and I kind of hit on them some already, but just to go over them, the the two systems are not irreconcilable. And going back to the pros and cons, sometimes you have the struggle and conflict because there is more than one person who's eligible to be the next guy. But like he pointed out, this chaos was usually limited by the person who's the leader. So, And he added another title that I haven't added. I've talked about clan chiefs and kings. He added the Lord of the Isles. <clears throat> so this the, the person who's in the leadership position would often name the tarnished while he was still alive. So it was clear amongst everybody who was the next person involved. But even though the the chief or the the lord or the king and, and we'll we'll talk mostly in terms of clan chiefs here, just because it's the Scottish clans podcast. The chief, even though he would be the one to announce and name him, you you heard in there that this was a decision made by the leading members of the clan. Keep in mind this the the clan, and I, this goes back to the previous episode I did on clan structure. The clan, most clans had a council. The the leading men, the denuussel, who were the the usually closer relations to the because a clan could involve fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth cousins. I mean it's depending on what time period in history where their founder was and how many generations down from there we are, it, it can spread out quite quite far. So this the, those who are still fairly closely related to the, the chiefly line, even if they're not designated as Tanish and they're never going to be the chief, they are the gentlemen of the clan. And they will form these councils, and they have quite a lot of say in who is going to be their next chief. Now, so I talked about, even with that, even if the the Tanisht was named during the life of the leader, of the chief, you still had some problems after he passed away because you had other people that disagreed in different factions and who can command the most men. Well, maybe it's not so lopsided. Maybe this guy over here can command quite a bit of men himself and he thinks he's got a better claim. And anyway, so there's still bad stuff that went on. So that's one of the cons to Tanistry. Now, pros... Father to son, father to oldest son, father to oldest son, father to oldest son. Well, what if the oldest son isn't the best guy for the job? So Tonistry opens up the door for the best candidate, the most able leader to take con- uh, the leadership of the clan. Another pro for Tonistry is that you have different branches of the clan who have buy-in on how the clan operated, as well as power was diffused through the different branches of the clan. And as we look at the American government and, and other governments who have done similar things, 
spreading out that power can be a very effective way to prevent any one person from just going off the reservation and taking the whole clan down with him. And and that's so, you know, whether you loved or hated Barack Obama, whether you love or hate uh, Donald Trump, the the way that we've diffused the power is that no one guy can completely sink this country. I'm not saying the country's not sinkable. I'm just saying it can't be done by only one guy. And so that's that would be similar here is if you have different branches of the clan that are taking turns as the as the chief, it's not just one really minuscule group of people, meaning the immediate family that has all the power in a clan. So that can be advantageous too. And so anyway, so there's some pros and cons, primogeniture versus tonistry. And so here's, so in wrapping this up, I'm, I'm just, I my last episode unintentionally went almost an hour. I'm just barely past a half hour now. And so I'm going to start wrapping this up, but I thought it was a good conversation to have with Tonistry. I hope you've enjoyed it and find it instructive and, and understand how, how Highland clans operate a little bit better. So here's, let me leave you with some questions still that we haven't answered. How widespread was the system of tonistry within Scotland? We do have people out of Galloway. Now keep in mind this is the late 1200s, okay? So what about 1500s? Were people in Galloway still using the system like the people in the Highlands were? I don't know. And so you have maybe some episodes, some examples in the Highlands going to the 16, maybe even 1700s. Um, I do know that as the farther you go into down the timeline, the more they start to favor primogeniture. The the chiefs do. So here's so I don't I don't know, first of all, when the cutoff date for this practice was. According to Outlander, it was still being practiced in the seventeen forties, but okay. <laughs> According to a TV show. So which, which, by the way, is cool and has been a great teaching moment that I can bring my wife into some of the stuff that she's not hitherto been interested in. So it's not without value, the, the telling the story through these TV shows. I'm just saying I don't base everything I know about Scottish clans off TV shows. So there's the question. How far did it go in the Highlands? The other question, how widespread throughout the rest of Scotland was it? So, yeah, we see it clear back in the late 1200s, early 1300s happening in being appealed to operating in Galloway. What about the eastern, southeast Scotland, Midlothian? What about the Aberdeenshire area? What about Caithness? Were all these areas using this system? So there's some questions. Now, so here's here's what I can I can make a challenge to you. My challenge to you would be whatever a clan that you are connected to, whether it's your surname or somebody farther back in your family tree, your spouses or significant others, connection, whatever, who, which, and, and pick a clan. And then I would, cause this is way too broad for, for one person to do week to week changing subjects. But I would, I'd recommend you pick that clan and you look at the succession of the one chief to another. Was it always the father to the oldest son? Or do we see that going back and forth? Do we see the the chief's brother taking over next or a nephew or a cousin how do you see it in your clan and you know what i would love to hear about it i would be fascinated if you would look this up and tell me what you find how do you see in your clan evidences of tonistry and then on top of that how long do you see it for when when did they go to strictly a father to oldest son primogeniture succession system 
That's what I want you to report back. I would love to hear it. So there, thank you for joining with me today. If you've enjoyed this and you haven't got to Apple Podcasts yet and left, left me a review, I'd encourage you to do it. If you only leave me some stars, then that's cool too, but I'd love written feedback on the review. I'd, I'd love that. That'd be great. Also, um, another way you can connect with me is on the Facebook page. You can message, send a message to Scottish clans, and I've picked up a lot of great uh, dialogue there with, with some of you. And then the other one is podbean.com or the Podbean app. You can use those sources for for connecting with me, and, and, and that way I don't have to surf all the different Facebook pages that I'm going to share this episode with. Anyway, I appreciate you joining me. One more, one more invitation is to share this podcast or this episode with somebody that you think would be interested that you think that they're probably not listening to it already. So make that, make that reach out and, and share this with somebody that you think would appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, the next episode I'm pretty sure will be on a clan, but um, I'll, wait, I'll leave you hanging to see which one it is till then. All right, thanks for joining me. Bye.